Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast, where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. In this video, we are going to, to continue with the discussion on what the Gospels are and what influenced the writers of the Gospels. And we're doing this to try to see the, to see the forest from the trees, to get a bird's eye view of what's going on broadly in these texts and what are some of the potential factors, the political and historical factors that influenced how the Gospels were constructed. So in this video, we're gonna continue that discussion. If you haven't seen the other videos, in this series, check those out. There should be maybe four or five videos within this series, so find those as well. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. Now, I also wanna show real quick the portrayal, not just of the, of the original apostles, but specifically Peter. If you remember, here is the parable of the sower. And I think this parable of the sower is talking about Peter. It says, when a sower went out to sow, as he sowed, some seeds fell, upon, fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they were withered away. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. For what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. The reason why I think, and you've got this up on the screen, Hopefully, for those who are getting this in the podcast, will will understand this. But when you get up, see this up on the screen, you I have these words highlighted: rocky ground. Seeds fell on rocky ground. Peter's name means rock or rocky. Kephas. Also, these seeds spring up quickly, but they wither away, meaning they're very enthusiastic and they're very you know they're they're they, they they've got a lot of spunk and a lot of energy and they spring up just like Peter did on many occasions. But the minute that there's a little bit of pushback, a little, little bit of turmoil or persecution, they, they fall, they, they, they wither away. This happens with Peter on when he tries to walk on water, a little bit of waves came, he doubted, fell in. There's some other places where he does the same thing. He says that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, he, and then right after that, he rebukes Jesus and says that, you know, tries to teach Jesus. So this is happening all the time. And then Jesus says that the evil one snatches those types of people away. Okay, this is important because as we go through, Peter's name means rock, as we said. But also this uh, parable uses the word scandalizo, which is immediately falls away. It's a scandal. This is the same verb used later when Jesus tells the disciples that they would become deserters. He says, you guys will become deserters. And this actually happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when everyone flees. Notice that it's Peter that stands up and said, even though all become deserters, I will not. He says this in Mark 14 and Matthew 26, but yet he does leave Jesus. And not only to leave Jesus, he then later denies Jesus. The noun form of the word scandalon means is a stumbling block, which is precisely what Jesus calls Peter later in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, but he turned and said to Peter, you are a stumbling block, a scandalon to me. Just as in the parable of the sower, Peter quickly turns from a person of faith to a person with no faith or understanding. 
he rebukes Jesus and tries to correct him. And then notice what Jesus calls Peter. He says, he calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And he also calls him a scandal on a stumbling block. Okay, these are really, these are fighting words that Matthew and Mark are using to describe Peter. So here, Jesus is consigning Peter to hell when he says, get behind me, Satan. So how, how do we know this? Because every other occurrence of the word scandal on in the Gospel of Matthew refers to those who will be in hell. So see Matthew 13, 41, 42, and Matthew 18, 7 through 9. Two chapters later, after he calls him Satan, Jesus says, woe to the world because of stumbling blocks, scandal on. Referring back to Peter in Matthew 16, Jesus continues, quote, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. We also get in Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, Jesus tells them to stay awake, but they fall asleep three times. And Jesus is grieved and says specifically to Peter, quote, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? Peter also denies Jesus with an oath in Matthew 26. But notice that earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus prohibited his disciples from oath-taking, lest they, quote, never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so while Peter is outside denying Jesus by an oath, Jesus is inside refusing to take an oath at the request of the high priest. This is deliberate language by Matthew. Matthew explains that Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is interesting because each of the six occurrences of weeping Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, it refers to the weeping of the damned after the final judgment. Matthew 8, Matthew 13, I'll put them up on the screen here, these verses. And three of these six occurrences associate weeping with being cast outside into the darkness. So this setting is really showing that Peter is in big trouble in terms of his salvation, according to the author of Matthew. So can we see now how the two major factors... Jewish-Roman relations and intra-Jewish relations, how these two major factors influenced the gospel's portrayal, not only of Gentiles and Pharisees, but also of the original apostles. First, the authors of Mark and Matthew were partial to the Gentile inclusive faction of the church. Second, a hostile rivalry had developed within the church between Gentile inclusive faction led by Paul and the Jewish exclusive faction led by Peter. Third, the original apostles, particularly Peter, James, and John were thought to have been Pharisaic-type Jews who were antagonists to the early Gentile mission. So given these three phenomena, it seems clear why the authors of Mark and Matthew would have disdained for the original apostles and why they would portray them so negatively. In fact, this anti-Peter sentiment was perpetuated in several early Christian communities in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, including those who wrote the Gospel of Thomas, the Acts of Thomas, the Apocryphon of James. But also, to be sure, some early Christian groups favored Peter in their text, including, this is like in the text of the Acts of Peter and the, uh, and the Twelve Apostles, the Epistle of Peter to Philip, and the Apocalypse of Peter. These are pro-Petrine or Peter text. One thing that we have to discuss, that I like to discuss with my students before ending this episode, because we've talked about some very scandalous or provocative topics, and one of them being that the Gospels seem to favor the Gentiles. They make them look good. It's a lot of Gentiles who recognize Jesus. You know, the centurion recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And, and it's uh, the Gentile woman coming to Jesus and Pilate trying to be nice and trying to let Jesus go when the, when the author Jewish authorities want to kill him. Also, how the, the original apostles are portrayed and specifically Peter. It's very bloody on how he's portrayed, as we just saw. So the, 
the one, the, some of the questions that my students ask, both at the university I teach at now, but also the previous university that had a lot of different types of Christian students, when we talked about these issues, the, the question that they asked is, why then, if this is true, if we as Christians, those of us who follow Jesus and follow the texts as, see them as scripture, this is very discouraging because Peter, Jesus is criticizing Peter and saying that he's Satan and he's going to be in hell and that it would be better for a millstone to be put around his neck. So why venerate Peter? Like, why do we even bother trying to venerate the original apostles and Peter? The, the answer I give is that, number one, we have to realize for, with these past videos, these past, this series of videos, this helps my students explain the political and theological context in which the gospel writers are writing. These are Pauline Christians, Pauline texts, and they're going to favor the Gentile mission, and therefore they've got some bias against some of the, the Jewish exclusive faction. But the other part of the answer is, if you want to salvage the view of the apostles, then read Luke. So let me give you some examples of what Luke, the author of Luke comes along, and he sees this portrayal of the apostles and of Peter in Matthew and Mark, probably this is what scholars are guessing that he is seeing, that Luke is coming after these texts and that he's responding to those. So here's what Luke does. I'll put it here up on the screen. What Luke tries to do is to rescue their reputation. And the example, some, one of the examples is that Jesus, when Jesus rebukes the apostles during a storm and declares that they have no faith, if you remember we talked about that, notice that in the Gospel of Luke, there is no rebuke. That's in Matthew 8, but also look at Luke 8, 22 through 25. The author of Luke specifically leaves that part out. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus saves Peter from drowning, and he says, you have little faith, remember this, Matthew 14, this is not included in Luke, nor is it included in John. They do not contain this story, or they contain the story, but they don't have Jesus saying to Peter, you have little faith. In Mark and Matthew, when Jesus is frustrated because of the disciples' lack of understanding, again, this is Matthew 15 and 16, and also Mark 7 and Mark 8. The author of Luke omits these rebukes. He does not include them. Jesus calls Peter Satan, if you remember, as we talked about in, in Mark and Matthew, calls him, specifically calls him Satan. But the author of Luke changes this episode by deleting Jesus' attack on Peter. Look specifically at Luke 9.22. And he, he, he tries to portray Peter in a more positive light. In Luke, Jesus does not say about his disciples, it would be better... So like in Matthew 18 and Mark 9, if you remember, they said it would, Jesus says, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. That's some of the, the harshest uh, criticism that Jesus gives the apostles. But in Luke, it doesn't, it's not, it's not there. Luke does not include that part of the tradition in the story. Mark and Matthew, in those gospels, the apostles repeatedly fall asleep in Gethsemane, as you remember, which causes Jesus to sorrow. He has sorrow over the apostles. This is Matthew 26, 36 through 46, and also Mark 14, 32 through 42. Now, while that's in those gospels, Luke changes the story. Now, the apostles do fall asleep in Luke, but the author of Luke adds that they fell asleep only because they were grieved. So he's trying to, again, he's trying to salvage their reputation by saying, yeah, they did fall asleep, but they were grieved. And that's why they fell asleep. This is in Luke 22, 45. As a, as a wrap up to this entire series on what are the Gospels, what influenced the Gospels, Jewish-Roman relations, 
which is an influence on the Gospels, also the Jerusalem Council and the debate over whether Gentiles should come in and be, become Jews or whether they don't have to be circumcised, all those issues will, will sort of tie all those up and say that the political and also theological motives of the gospel writers shaped how they looked back into their history and looked back into the ministry of Jesus and how they explained it. So they were not favorable to the Pharisees. They were not favorable to Jews. Why? Because Jews and Pharisees were the current enemies, current meaning in the 70s and 80s and 90s. 50 years after Jesus died, the current enemies of the Jesus movement were the rabbinic Jews or Pharisaic Jews who were trying to save Judaism after the destruction of the temple. So we really have to understand that if you're reading a text that was written in the 80s, 70s or 80s or 90s, you have to know these factors. I tell my students, we have to know these factors because no, even if this is scripture, nobody can divorce themselves. No writer can divorce themselves or separate themselves from their current political situation. You'll always put your own, your own feelings and your own passions and your own frustrations into the text even if you're writing about something that happened 50 years ago. Thanks for watching this series. Comment below or even find me and send me an email. But check out other, other videos in this YouTube channel and also check out my recent book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. You can find it at Amazon and, and uh, other places. And also check out the podcast, Strangers in Jerusalem podcast.